what Upton Brown was trying to deal with is to say whether you had to recoup the losses. And then you move on to Raftland, and the taxpayer in Raftland tried to argue the same thing that Upton and Brown applied. But the High Court in Raftland said, well, it only applies to discretionary trusts. It doesn't apply to unit trusts. So there's now a distinction between whether Upton and, Upton and Brown only applies to discretionary trusts. It doesn't apply to, to unit trusts. From 2010 onwards, Upton and Brown does not apply to capital gains and front dividends. Upton and Brown no longer applies to 115 and 207. In Kajusic, if they had to take up the losses, then there was no income to distribute. And Kajusic's the first case that said, yes, Upton and Brown applied to a discretionary trust. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 402 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to DocuSign for sponsoring this episode. So here's the second episode in our mini-series about trust losses. In the last episode, episode 401, we looked at the concept of trust income. In this episode, we look at the court cases that establish when, who can or has to recoup what losses and when. We refer a lot to the court case Upton versus Brown, since that court case is really important. And we refer to it as Upton and Brown, but it is actually Upton versus Brown. Upton and Brown were both beneficiaries of a discretionary trust way back in 1884. One was the income beneficiary and the other one was entitled to the trust capital. And that didn't go well, so they went to court to fight it out. So it is Upton versus Brown and not Upton and Brown, but of course, just semantics. And I'm sure that Upton and Brown would have been happy if somebody had told them in 1884 that this case will make them so famous that tax people, not, not normal people, but tax people, still talk about them 140 years later. So here's one Jorgensen of Thomson Gear in Melbourne about the court cases that rule what choices you have around the recoupment of trust losses. Ordinary losses, capital losses, and also the loss of tax attributes. I refer to a text you wrote in the paper you sent me under 2.8, which spoke about tax loss allocation. And there you write, and do you mind if I just quickly read it? Where losses are recouped, there may be no distributable income to which a beneficiary is relevantly entitled to flow tax attributes or concessional tax treatment to the beneficiaries, and then you call that a tax lockup. For example, the trustee is not entitled to refundable tax offsets for frank distributions or the CGT 50% discount. Sorry, that was very fast. So let me just read this again to you. Where losses are recouped. So if you have current income or capital gain and you offset that with a loss, so where losses are recouped, there may be no distributable income to which a beneficiary is relevantly entitled to flow tax attributes or concessional tax treatment to the beneficiaries. So if you have no distributable income because of tax offset losses, sorry, I'm not quoting anymore. If you have no distributable income because you offset the income with the loss, then of course you can't have franking credits or CGT discounts or FITOs flowing through to the beneficiaries. And I forgot to ask Ron 
what the difference is between tax attributes and concessional tax treatment. And I assume tax attributes are things like franking credits and foreign income tax offsets. And concessional tax treatment is like the 50% CGT discount or the small business CGT concessions. Ron calls that a tax lockup. So this is the text I refer to and I read to Ron asking him what he means. And so just to understand what you mean with that, let's say you have ordinary income of 50,000 and that includes franking credits of, for example, 10 or 5,000. Can we just use the 70, yeah. 30? Yeah, books up a bit easier. $70 worth of frank dividend, $30 imputation credit. Okay, 70, 30 it is. $70,000 of franked dividends and $30,000 of franking credits. But now you have income tax losses of 70000 so your trust income is actually nil. Correct. And so now you're saying that $30,000 franking credits is lost. It's a tax lockup. What yes, you're so saying, I can't correct? pass it to anyone because I, have no, I don't have $1 of dividend income for the franking credit to attach to a passing. The same applies to capital gains. Let's say you have $100,000 of capital gains and a 50% CGT discount, so you have $50,000 of capital gain. So when you talk about trust income, remember capital gains come out under 115, so we're not talking about trust income in that anymore. Do capital gains always come out under 115? Isn't that just when you stream it? Capital gains always comes out under 115. Okay, and franking credits as well. Yeah, and Frank Grids come out under 207. The examples we're talking about are somewhat corrected. So what you would end up with is, forget about trust income on that, you go straight to 115 and you say, I've got $50,000 of accessible capital gain and $50,000 of discounted non-accessible capital gain to make up your 100000 Then under 102, you apply the losses. So if you've got $50,000 worth of capital losses, you reduce the accessible capital gain by the losses, and that means that you've got no capital gain to pass out the non-accessible part. But don't you apply the losses before the discount? Oh, yes, sorry. Yes, you do. Correct. Now, my comment is only correct because we're talking about capital losses. Yes, when you have capital gains and capital losses, then you first offset the gains against the losses before you apply the 50% CGT discount. But with capital gains and revenue losses, you first apply the 50% CGT discount to the capital gain and then you offset it with the losses. So capital losses, 50% CGT discount after, revenue losses, 50% CGT discount before. And you find all this in the method statement in section 102. So that means in this example, you have $100,000 of capital gains. You apply the losses of 50000 So you have $50,000 of capital gain. Then you apply the 50% CGT discount. So you got 25 so worth of taxable income to pass out and 25 of non-taxable to pass out. And so now let's say you distribute that to Paul. Does Paul receive $50,000 of capital gains under Division 115 or does he only receive 25000 He receives 50000 correct? So I what think. happens is in that instance, the losses have been soaked up. The net capital gain he has left is $25,000 accessible, $25,000 non-accessible. The trustee would say, well, I will pass out the $25,000 accessible to him and the $25,000 non-accessible to him. He takes the fifties. He takes the twenty five thousand dollars, grosses it up, and then applies a discount and brings it back down. So that's what that mechanism is doing to try and recognise that he's receiving the 
non-assessable component as well. So if you only lose the uh, CGT discount, if the uh, capital loss, the carried forward capital loss equals the capital gain. Correct. Yes. So that's what your text was about. When losses are recouped, you don't have distributable income and hence you lose the tax attributes, be it the franking credit or be it the 50% CGT discount. Correct. The one thing is probably important to recognize is the distinction between revenue losses and capital losses. If you have a capital loss, it can only be set off against capital gains. So you do that separate calculation to one side. What If you come up with a net capital gain at the end of that process, it can be reduced by any revenue losses the person has as well. But if you have a capital loss sitting there, that's got to be carried forward and you can't set that off against any revenue gains you have or any revenue you have, any income you have. So capital loss is offset with capital gain. If the result is a capital gain, you can offset it against an income loss be it an income loss of this year or an income loss carry forward. Correct. But if the uh, capital loss is greater than the capital gain and you have a capital loss, you can't offset that against any income. Correct. So it just gets carried forward as a carry forward capital loss and you can set it off in a subsequent year against other capital gains. So that means you can offset an income loss against the capital gain, but you can't offset a ordinary income against the capital loss. Capital losses are always siloed. Correct. Continue in your text where you're discussing whether the um, trustee has the power to decide when to claim losses. And so in paragraph 2.8, you write, the power to require or not require recoupment of losses from income concerns the proper or priority allocation of outgoings as between the income beneficiary and the capital beneficiary and is not historically concerned with the production of a particular income tax consequence. And so I tried to understand what you were saying. And I think, first of all, you say the expenses need to be allocated correctly between income and capital. And I think that is obvious, but it clearly is not obvious because, you know, you make it a point. But I think that's all this paragraph is about. Can you elaborate what you mean with this paragraph? Yes. So the idea is if we go back to, let's say I've got some revenue losses. So the example that we were doing before, so just say I've got $50,000 worth of revenue losses and I have $25,000 worth of discounted capital gain. Before you redo this example, can I just very quickly ask you something? When we had this example where we said we offset capital losses with capital gains and if it's then still a capital gain, then we offset it with an income loss, then we can offset it with an income loss. When we do that, do we offset the income loss with the discounted capital gain? Yes, that is what we are doing. We are offsetting the net capital gain against revenue losses. So far we had a capital gain that was greater than revenue losses. Now let's flip this around and let's make revenue losses bigger than capital gain. So let's say we have revenue losses of 50,000 and a capital gain of 20,000 and let's just ignore the CGT discount now. Yes, we know we first apply the CGT discount and then offset it with revenue losses, but now let's just ignore the discount and let's just say this capital gain can't be discounted, for example, because it was sold within 12 months. So revenue losses, 50,000, capital gain, 20,000. The problem yeah. is we've got revenue losses that exceed the that exceed the capital gain. So the question there is, well, how do we pass the capital gain out? 
in that second, can we, can we in fact ignore the revenue losses, carry those forward and pass the capital gain out regardless? Yes, that's a very good question. What Upton and Brown said is that the trustee has that power if the deed gives them that power. So what the trustee could say is, well, in determining how I distribute this, that 50,000 revenue loss, I will ignore for trust law purposes and carry it forward. And that means that I've still got my discounted capital gain that I could pass out to someone. Practitioners thought that that applied that way. And in Kajusic, they said, yes, it does apply that way. So you can fix up these lockup problems by ignoring relevant income or capital amounts, their losses, so that you can get a positive amount to carry forward for trust law purposes and give it to someone. But the problem is that the trust income is negative. Sorry? The trust income is negative. We have revenue losses of 50,000, capital gain of 20,000. Yep. So trust income is negative. Hence, there should- You would have lockup, but if I, under Upton and Brown said, for trust purposes, I'm not going to recoup that loss, then you just ignore that you have a loss so you should get back to your positive income position which you can pass out of the deed. Until now, trust income was always just one bucket. We had ordinary and statutory income together in it. Yes, we had Division 115, but it was basically one bucket. And we could only distribute from this bucket or stream from this bucket if the net amount was at least one cent. And Upton and Browner basically says we have two buckets. One is revenue, one is capital. And if one of these is positive, then that can be distributed, even though we might have a big loss in the other bucket. That's basically what it says, correct? Whichever, it doesn't matter whether you're doing silo approach or things like that. What Upton Brown was trying to deal with is to say whether you had to recoup the losses. So if we went back to the $70 franc dividend and the $30 franking credit, if I had $70 worth of revenue losses, I would have to take that up. I would end up with no distributable income, so I could not pass it out. So you're Whereas saying- Whereas up in the brown, I would say, I'm not going to recoup my $70 worth of losses. That keeps me with my $70 of income for trust law purposes, being the dividend amount, and I can pass that out. Okay, I got you. So in this example, we originally had where the, you had revenue losses of 50000 and capital gain of 20000 Those revenue losses were carried forward. They are actually from a previous year, and we just d have decided not to use them, but to carry them forward. And we have to, we will eventually use them in another year. Yep. But for the purposes of determining trust law income, that's how we can pass it out. Now, that creates the interesting issue that under the statute, under the tax law, you have to use your revenue losses. You can't carry them forward. So you end up with this problem about how they, they fit together. Just very quickly, um, back to the original example of 50,000 and 20,000. So the revenue losses of 50,000 was actually carried forward. And under Upton and Brown, we could just keep carrying them forward and not recognize them in this year. Hence, we ha just have a capital gain of 20,000, which we can distribute. If this revenue loss of 50,000 wasn't a carry forward, but was incurred in this year, then it wouldn't apply, correct? Because then trust income is negative and we can't distribute the capital gain of 20,000, correct? That, yeah, that's one approach, yes. So Upton and Brown only applies if we have income losses that came from a previous year and then we have been carrying them forward anyway and we just keep carrying them forward, correct? There's debate about how far Upton and Brown actually goes. I know Upton and Brown is controversial. Just 
up to Upton and Brown. That's what Upton and Brown is saying, correct? Once you start carrying forward, the, the, the goods are basically on the ship and you decide how far you sail with it, correct? Correct, that's right. And then you mentioned tax law. Tax law doesn't actually doesn't allow the, for revenue losses, and I assume also for capital losses, but for revenue losses, tax law doesn't apply this, you just sail into the sunset. You have to up, you basically offload the revenue losses as soon as you can, correct? That's what tax law is saying. Correct, that's right. So then you have a difference between trust income and net income, correct? Yes. And so then we have another court case that came back to this problem, correct? That was Raftland. Kai Raftland or Kaikusik? Now, before we talk about Raftland and Kaikusik, here's a quick word from our sponsor, DocuSign. Hi, my name's Diane. I'm an accountant and I'd like to make a confession. Last financial year, I seriously screwed up. I left my paperwork in a taxi. Yep, confidential contracts, tax file numbers. I was mortified. It's why this year, my accounting firm is using DocuSign. Going digital has saved us time, money, paperwork and stress. Make no mistake. Sign up for your free trial at docusign.com.au. Next time, DocuSign. Raftland or Kaikusik? Kajusik. Again, this is before 2010. So this all this debate is sort of a historic issue before 2010. The question was whether Upton and Brown applied because in Kajusik they had to take up the losses. If they had to take up the losses, then there was no income to distribute. And in Kajusik's the first case that said yes, Upton and Brown applied to a discretionary trust. I see. So what uh, Upton and Brown before that didn't apply to a discretionary trust? It was a unit trust? No one knew whether Upton and Brown applied. So when you got to the tax office said Upton and Brown didn't apply ever. The taxpayer in Kajusik said yes, it does, and Kajusik the court decided yes, it does apply. I see. Okay, so Kajusik basically just confirmed Upton and Brown. Correct. And then you move on to Raftland, and the taxpayer in Raftland tried to argue the same thing that Upton and Brown applied. But the High Court in Raftland said, well, it only applies to discretionary trusts; it doesn't apply to unit trusts. So there's now a distinction between whether Upton and Brown only applies to discretionary trusts. It doesn't apply to, to unit trusts. You can't fix the problems in, with unit trusts by not recouping losses. So in discretionary trusts, once income losses are on the ship, they can sail as long as they want until the trustee decides to offload them, but only for trust income. For net income, they have to be offset as soon as you can. And for unit trusts, Because Upton and Brown doesn't apply to unit trust. For unit trust, you have to upload the income losses as soon as you can for trust income as well. So for unit trust, it's the same. Tax law and trust law basically are the same. You have to offload your income losses as soon as you can. But for your discretionary trust, you can have a gap between trust income and net income. Because for trust income, you can carry them as long forward as you want to. Yes. But all this only applies to income losses that are carried forward. If you have income losses in the current year and they are bigger than your capital gains, then your trust income is nil and nothing can be distributed and everything is carried forward. Correct. So the trustee would be taxed on it and then the, there'd be no discount. Let's assume the revenue losses of 50,000 was in this year and the capital gain of 20,000 was in this year then you don't carry forward the capital gain of 20,000. It gets offset with the revenue losses and then you just carry forward revenue losses of 30,000, correct? Correct. 
assuming the capital gain has no discount. If the capital gain has no discount, then yes, you have the revenue losses of 50, you have capital gains of 20,000, so you carry forward 30,000. But if the uh, capital gain does have a discount, then you offset the revenue loss of 50,000 with $10,000 of capital gain, which means you carry forward 40,000. I hope that makes sense. The reason why we were trying to apply Upton and Brown was so that we didn't lose the discount on the gross up process. Does that make sense? Yes. The Upton and Brown stuff is, is all pre-2010. So the whole Upton and Brown discussion has very limited application now after Bamford and the changes to 115 and 207. Oh, I see. So Upton and Brown doesn't apply anymore after Bamford. It only applies to certain types of income. So for instance, if I've got a revenue loss and I have... Usually, I have other sorts of income, such as foreign income or something like that, then that has foreign tax attributes to it. Arguably, Upton and Brown will apply to that because we don't have any, we don't have 115 and 207 equivalents for foreign income. I see you said won't, correct? You said Upton and Brown won't apply to this, this foreign income, correct? No, no, no. So from, from 2010 onwards, Upton and Brown does not apply to capital gains and front dividends because they have their own taxing regime. But so okay. the discussion we've been having is the historic pre-2010. But for income other than capital gains and frank dividends, Upton and Brown still applies. I see. So for example, foreign tax credits. Foreign tax credits and dividend interest and royalty income are the two main ones. Why is dividend, royalty, and interest income not in Section 95 under ordinary income? It still is. That's why Upton and Brown still works. Oh, because it arrives as NANA, for example? No. So yeah, Upton and Brown only, yeah. only applies to the income that comes through Section 97. Upton and Brown no longer applies to 115 and 207. So that means Upton and Brown does apply to royalty, dividend, and interest. That, yes, that's the, the argument at the moment. So that means Upton and Brown applies to anything that comes through Section 97 or 95, except capital gains and franking credits. Correct. If you think about if I had $70 worth of foreign income and $30 worth of foreign taps credit, that lockup example that I gave you still works. I may not want to recoup my $70 worth of losses. So I've still got foreign income, pass the foreign income through so the recipient gets the foreign tax credit. So while I gave you the example that imputation credit, that imputation credit was pre-2010 benefit changes, but the same thing works for foreign tax credits. So in our example, where we said revenue losses are 50,000 and capital gain is 20,000, after 2010, after Bamford, we no longer have Upton and Brown for that one. So that means we need to offset the capital gain with the uh, revenue losses. Can't carry the revenue losses forward. If we didn't have a capital gain, but instead, for example, instead of the capital gain, we had $20,000 of foreign dividends with a foreign tax credit, then we could carry the revenue losses of $50,000 forward and then distribute the um, foreign dividend with foreign tax credits in this year, correct? That's what you're saying. But only discretionary trusts. Yes. 
Sorry, the internet connection broke off there and also I spoke over Ron. So Ron says yes, only for discretionary trust. And then he adds, so Upton versus Brown is very limited. So Upton and Brown only applies to discretionary trusts and it only applies to ordinary income. So it doesn't apply to capital gains and it doesn't apply to franking credits. So if you have tax attributes, you know, you want to save by carrying losses forward, those tax attributes basically can are usually foreign tax credits you can save because you can no longer save franking credits and you can no longer save the 50% CGG discount by shipping revenue losses forward into a future year. Correct? correct. Yes, correct. Are there any other tax attributes you might be able to save thanks to Upton and Brown apart from foreign tax credits or foreign income tax offsets? So it's probably that and dividend interest and royalty income. Yeah, or actually probably don't even want to deal with that. So I'd say it's really only foreign, foreign offsets that are the main ones that we would be dealing with. Yeah, because dividend interest and royalties, they only have a tax attribute if they are from overseas and come with, with a FITO, correct? Yes, correct. Good. And so Raftland is basically just confirmed Upton and Brown. And so then the final paragraph, you basically discuss that the trustee has the power to postpone losses as long as it's within the application of Upton and Brown, meaning only uh, discretionary trust and only tax attributes that don't come through capital gain or franking credits, correct? Yes, true. What Upton Brown was trying to deal with is to say whether you had to recoup the losses. And then you move on to Raftland, and the taxpayer in Raftland tried to argue the same thing that Upton and Brown applied. But the High Court in Raftland said, well, it only applies to discretionary trusts, it doesn't apply to unit trusts. So there's now a distinction between whether Upton and Brown only applies to discretionary trusts, it doesn't apply to, to unit trusts. From 2010 onwards, Upton and Brown does not apply to capital gains and frank dividends. Upton and Brown no longer applies to 115 and 207. In Kajusic, if they had to take up the losses, then there was no income to distribute. And Kajusic's the first case that said, yes, Upton and Brown applied to a discretionary trust. Ron Jorgensen of Thompson Gear in Melbourne. In the next episode, episode 403, we will speak with Robin Jacobson of the Tax Institute about Division 6E and the role it plays. Yes, it feels like we are far away from tax losses, but we are coming back to tax losses in episode 404. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to DocuSign for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.